Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money, whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Okay, great. So today I'm with a very special guest who, you know, he's been one of my property and business mentors. I've attended a lot of courses here. And uh, he's a multimillionaire who runs Progressive, uh, one of the largest or the largest property training companies in the country with, you know, turnover in excess of many, many millions. And together with his partner, Mark Homer, he owns or controls over 800 properties. Uh, He also has written 14 books and he seems to bring out a book every year. Uh, So he's super busy. And he's a sought-after platform speaker and a holder of three world records. So, wow, I mean, that, that's amazing. He's still a young guy. Um, you know, it's amazing. He is, of course, Rob Moore, from, from my audience, who may not know him. Some of them may not know. So welcome to, to you. Welcome to Money Tips. Thank you. Um, I, th- I think the first thing, some might, people might feel, how do you fit all this in? You know, you seem to be doing so many things and bringing out at least one or two books a year. So, you know, you'd expect that I'd see you as a sort of workaholic, you know, stressed out, but you, you seem to look relaxed and you seem to be enjoying, <laughs> yeah. enjoying yourself. You know, how, how did you manage to fit it all in and the family? Okay, so a couple of things before I answer that, because I think it's important. So um, I don't currently hold three world records. I've broken one world record twice and one world record once. So I've broken three, but I think I hold one at the moment. I think someone beat me on the individual speaking okay. world record. And then Mark and I own or manage about 850 properties. We don't own all of them ourselves. Some of them we are letting agency. Um, so how do I fit it all in then? Uh, well, look, I love doing what I do, Charles, and I feel very privileged um, to be able to have a good life uh, and have some good money and be around some really nice people and have an amazing business partner and an amazing team. Um, I don't really want to do anything else. I mean, okay, I have some... I like cars, I like watches, I like hi-fi music, I like playing pool, um, I, I, you know, I like going out sometimes for meals, but I don't really do much socially. And my, my passion is business and my profession is business. So for me to do 10 hours in a day to, doesn't, isn't work. Uh, right. now, now, look, I'll get tired if I do a lot of hours in a day, um, but I don't really see it as work, okay. even though I can work. Um, but um, I have quite a set rigid diary structure so i suppose when i first started for a few years starting progressive i was like the little um sort of westy dog that was humping the tree just humping it really like humping the tree humping the tree humping the tree just going for it yeah just going for it but not really necessarily doing the right thing in the right way at the right time and i'd say maybe five years ago i tried to become a little bit more strategic about where i was spending my time what i was saying yes to what i was saying no to uh, what I did and when. So I always do lives and um, guest, I bec- I'm a guest on people's podcasts around about this time. Uh, I don't do them at nine or 10 in the morning because that's the time when I'm doing my vision and my strategy and my key result areas. I get up at five, have a, a, a strong coffee at 5.30 and I do a lot of my main, I suppose, vision and strategic work before 8 a.m. Um, and therefore I can still have a lot of family time in the late afternoon, early evening. When Bobby's yeah. off on holiday, school holidays, I do golf every morning so i just try and be smart with planning my time and my day and have a really quite strategic routine i actually wrote a book on it called routine equals results 
I planned when I have my meals. I tested when I go to bed and when I get up and what works for me and tested what to eat and when and what works for me and when to exercise. And so people look at me and, you know, I'm not saying this to um, brag because there's people that get plenty more done in a day than me, I'm sure. But, you know, you and other people do say I seem to get a lot done. That's because I have very compartmentalized activities that I do in my day. You're very well organised. Well, I try to be. I'm certainly not perfect at that. You've written books about it, Life Leverage. Yes. uh, Yeah, I mean, for me, leverage is is really about having organised people around you that can organise you. So if I have the illusion of being hyper-organised, it's because I've got really organised people around me who organise me so I can seem organised when, in fact, they're organised for me. Yeah, great. Okay. So can I just go back to, to when you started? Because I know from your story that... You know, at one time you were a struggling artist, broke and, you know, owing £50,000 in debt. Yeah. And yet within a few, few you know, relatively short years, you, you'd gone to become financially free and quite wealthy. I mean, yeah. How did you, you manage that? Going from minus to, you know, to getting into property with, with no money and, and owing money. Yeah. So um, probably take me two or three minutes to answer that. Yeah, I'll go do ahead, that. Yeah. There's one yeah. on the live, which is quite interesting. Brian has said, do you sometimes wish you were less organised or less scheduled? Ah. Um, well, here's the paradox. I love freedom and I don't like being told what to do and when to do it, but I know I need it. Otherwise, I will let myself off the hook and do all sorts of stuff that feels good, but isn't a key result area or isn't an income generating task. Right. So the paradox is, no, I don't really like being ultra highly tightly scheduled. And, you know, the chimp brain or the child brain goes, I don't want to do this now. I want to do this instead. I don't want to do this now. I don't want, I want to do this instead. But I actually like a schedule to keep me accountable to do things I know I've got to do. Now, if I've been scheduled to do something I know I shouldn't be doing, the child brain comes in, I don't want to do this, I'm financially free, I've made millions, I don't have to do this, everyone leave me alone. But I mean, I knew I had to do this podcast and I wanted to do this podcast. And actually, Charles, I'd I'd owed you this for for a little while. Um, So in that regard, I like being scheduled because if I wasn't, I might, oh, well, we'll do it whenever and it never happens. So yeah, it's a paradox. And most entrepreneurs, they need the scheduling and the routine but a lot of them likes the freedom and doesn't want to be scheduled. So I schedule two thirds of my day and I have freedom in about one third and that fits. OK, so back to the story then. Um, so, yeah, I got myself in a lot of debt, really not through like one or two bad decisions, but through just a slow and steady decline from probably about, about age 18 when I went to uni until about age 25. So I just spent a little bit more than I earned each month. Or I racked up some debt at uni, got all the student loans and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I got credit cards and sort of got towards the max, and then got another one when you could get loads of credit cards back in right. what 2005. Yeah. And so I crept over sort of seven or eight years, it wasn't like overnight. And all of a sudden, I am nearly 50,000 pounds in consumer debt, not mortgage debt, but consumer debt. Uh, and I'd got myself in that way from doing a job that didn't quite pay me enough, spending too much money. And I was only, I only needed to spend 50 quid a week more than I was earning. And you rack that up over a few years when you're not earning a lot. And that compounds quite a lot. And always having interest on your credit cards and all that kind of stuff. And it just all, because sometimes you don't get yourself in a bad financial situation. You'll know this by making one really bad decision. It's a lot of little ones that compound over time. And that was me. Um, And then I was lost because I was sort of doing art on the side. And I loved art, but I was not very good at selling art. And I didn't like the commercial side of art at all. And I wasn't, I didn't have a good relationship with money, but I loved art. And I was working in my dad's pub in the day as well to try and sort of make ends meet. Um, but because I was having to commercialise art, I was losing my enjoyment of it. And I did, definitely didn't want to work in my dad's pub my whole life. Um, and then on December the 15th, 2005, 
My dad had a massive nervous breakdown in his pub in front of all the customers, completely lost completely lost it. He got section, he got arrested, beaten up and sectioned by the police in front of like 50 or 60 customers in his pub. Um, and I can't quite remember it, you know, like word for word, Charles, but I know that, that in that moment or that day or that week, I did a lot of soul searching and I felt shame. I felt guilt. I felt like partly responsible because my dad had always put me through private school. He'd always given me a job. He'd always supported me. Um, and that, was, in many regards, was the worst day of my life. But in some ways, it was the best because it gave me this lightning bolt of like, Rob, you've got to do something with your life. You know, you know, you can do more. I always, like, my dad raised me to be an entrepreneur, and I always felt like I should be doing more. But I was mm. jealous of everyone else who was successful. I looked at everyone else, going, "You're lucky. Why are you so successful? Why can't I do it?" And that turned into bitterness and envy, um, and I became quite just negative and bitter inside. Um, and then about a week later, it was quite serendipitous. Um, I went to a, a gallery that was hanging my art. Now, this guy w- had given me a chance. I don't really think he thought my art was that good, but he hung it in his furniture shop and gallery because he wanted to give a young artist in Peterborough a chance. Okay. And I'll always be grateful to him for that. And he'd been saying to me for years, Rob, you've got to get into property. Rob, you've got to get into property. Rob, you've got to get into property. Which, because everyone says that, don't they? And because uh, for years I was like, well, I'm an artist, I'm skinned, how do I get into property? Oh, I can't do it. And I just dismissed it. Because you think you need pr- money to buy yeah, property. Yeah, you think you? you need money, you need experience. How can an artist buy property? Yeah. It's just, I just you couldn't. You've got no job. And, you know, exactly, and I couldn't yeah. fathom it. Yeah. And then a few days after what happened to my dad, I went back to him and I said, right, what's this property thing? I'm going. I had no idea what was going to be there, why I was going. I, just, I was now searching, I was now hungry, I was probably desperate, to be honest. And I got lucky at that very first property meeting. I met my current business partner, Mark Homer. This was, um, what, 14 years ago, nearly 13 and a half years ago. Uh, I met Mark and we struck up a friendship. He so was. Can I, can I, I, yeah. I believe you were at the last two in the bar or something. Yeah. You, you just uh, yeah. went out and started talking to him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were probably not even a dozen people at this property networking event. And Mike said to me, Rob, when you go, don't just sit on your own. Go and give out your business cards and talk to people. Right. So, like, and I was quite shy back then. Well, actually, I was just not confident because my life wasn't going where it was. I wasn't inherently shy. I just lost my confidence. So I went round. Hi, I'm Rob, business card. Hi, I'm Rob, business card. What do you do? Well, I'm, I'm kind of an artist. I'm trying to get into property. What do you? And, like, and I sat down at the bar. Mark was the last guy at the bar before I was going to go. Um, and there was an, an intrigue. I wouldn't say we initially struck it off. I think he found me a bit too much. I think I found him a bit weird and geeky. Um, but we were intrigued by each other. Right. Um, he gave me a few books to read. I read them. Um, and I went, he was working at a property sourcing company. I went to meet him in his offices. I met his boss. Within two months, they'd hired me. And I would have worked for free, by the way, but they gave me a minimum wage and good good commissions, like 500 quid a deal. Mm. Um, and then, um, what, probably two months into that job, Mark and I decided we were going to buy some property together. Now, he had the deposits, he had the funds, um, and I had the enthusiasm, the passion, the hunger, the relentlessness, probably a bit of desperation, and we struck a partnership. Now, we didn't go like, here's a big contract, here's a heads of terms, here's an MOU. We just bought a house together, owned it 50-50. He put his money in. It was protected because he had the restriction on the amount that he put his yeah. money in for, so it was low risk to him. And we, had nearly, we bought nearly 20 together by the end of that year. And when we ran it, his, his money, we went to his mum and raised some money from her, and then we went to his stepdad and raised money from him, and then we went to my mum and she had a bit of inheritance from my nan and then my uncle who had a bit of inheritance from my nan and probably two years in we had 40 or 50 deals that we either bought for ourselves or sourced to other people 
and I got myself out of debt. I made my first six figures within just over a year. So really, that was 150 grand I made in not, you know, not much more than a year. Um, and then uh, at the end of that year, at the end of 2006, we started Progressive Property. Mark and I, I went out and started on our own. And then the dots sort of joined together. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a fantastic story. I mean, people might say you're lucky, but I suppose you made your own luck by being yeah, there, giving I, I, out your I was cards. a bit lucky. Um, I mean, look, to meet your business partner at your first networking event, you could say that's luck. That is. But for seven years of my life, from 18 to 25, I was trying stuff and it wasn't working. So it wasn't like it was that one day I'd failed or slowly failing for many years first. That was definitely lucky. But I and he made our luck in that regard. I do feel for I guess I feel fortunate, mm. not lucky, because had I not met him then, I might have met him a month later or a month later or a month later. Um because once I started searching things, I started to find things. And I find that once you start to search, you start to find. Um, and yeah, you know, Mark and I have since packaged hundreds of deals for people. We've bought hundreds of deals for ourselves. I became a millionaire between the age of 30 and 31. That was always a goal. Um, once I got to sort of net worth of 10 million, it became less about money. Um, so yeah, we, we, we've done all right. Um, yeah, so th- there's the answer. You do make your own luck if you go to me- network meetings, talk to people, and follow up. I go to a lot of network meetings. People give out a card, and I give my card. Very few of them actually follow things up. So you yeah. have to follow up and build the relationship. I emailed or called. One-off thing. Like I that, emailed or called every single person I met at that networking event because Mike told me to. Right. It's not hard. Yeah, and, and Mark would so like meeting Mark. I followed up with him. I followed up with everyone else. He followed back up with me and said, "Yeah, come to the office." It's basic yeah. networking, really. Yeah. So you mentioned about you had a, a goal. Was it always an intention to be rich? Did you, yeah. did you have a vision yeah. board of Ferraris yeah. and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, the lot. The lot. <laughs> so All the board stuff and... that the critics hate, yeah. but the, that work. So, yeah, I mean, it, from when I was a kid, my dad was an entrepreneur. He made millions, lost millions, made millions, lost millions. Okay. He had pubs and bars and a hotel in... Um, just before the Gulf War in Mildred Hall and Lake and Heath, and he had like, loads of American customers and he was raking it in. Then when the Gulf War happened, they all just flew out one day, gone. And there was no, there was no one in Mildred Hall and Lake right. and Heath anymore. So he lost those pubs and went bust and he's been boom, bust, boom, bust. And he used to take me everywhere he went with all of his business ventures. He used to let me count the money out of the fruit machines and the pool tables. Um, he always used to have nice sports cars when he was in the money. And yeah, so I wanted to be rich. But it wasn't like money at all costs rich. I was right. just young and I liked cars and I liked money because that's how I was raised. Um, and when, you know, so, yes, I was focused on money when I was skint. It's funny because the more wealthy I've become, the less I've been focused on money compared to when I was skint. Because right. when you're skint, you're always thinking about money, yeah. i.e. Yeah. budgeting and haven't got it and can't spend this. And when like, you're rich, you're not thinking about money. You're just thinking more in a more abundant way. Yeah. Um, I, you know, for me now, you'll, you'll hear me talk about money a lot less now than I used to. Um, because it's not scarce anymore. But I've been doing visualization and I've had uh, various mantras and incantations since I read Think and Grow Rich in 2006. Um, yes, I've been um, setting goals very regularly. I set big goals twice a year, like hundreds of goals twice a year. Um, and yeah, I very much believe in setting goals and intention and attention it forever, whatever you want to achieve. Right. Yeah. So do you think anybody can be rich and successful or is it something that is just in somebody or could anybody be taught to, to do what you've done? And yeah. yeah, I think that anybody could be rich and successful with some caveats. So one is they have to have, uh, they would probably have to have full faculties of their mind, you know, and not have some illness or 
yeah, issues course, yeah. that, that, that limits their thinking. That would be one. Number two, and this is important, they have to want it. Um, because there's some weird and wonderful things that make money. My daughter uh, got bought by my um, wife yesterday a, a slinky. You remember those th- those sort yeah. of long things that, that go down, down the, the stairs, stairs like yeah, that? Yeah. Well, the founder of that is a millionaire. Um, and who'd have thought? I mean, that is just a piece of plastic. Yeah, uh, and yeah. um, if you think about, um, there's a little YouTube channel, I say little YouTube channel, a guy called Ryan Toys Review, um, or Ryan's Toy Reviews, uh, and he, they made 17 million US dollars on his um, YouTube channel last year. He's seven years old. And there's a barber that, that cuts their hair of the Sultan of Brunei that's minimum £5,000 a haircut. So can anyone be rich? Yes. If you are full faculty, it's humanly possible what you're going into it's um, it, there's a monetary element to what you're going into and you have a desire to learn how to be wealthy and successful. Okay. Um, and then you've got to learn about markets and economics and supply and demand and pricing and creating value and knowing how to reach the amount of clients and having a good message to a, an ideal client demographic and all the other elements of business that enable you to commercialize it. But yeah, I, I have mentored thousands of people. And I have seen some people who probably had everything it took wealthy kind of stumble right. and people who look like they had everything against them and they succeeded. Um, so Haroon here has just said, do you chase uh, money or meaning? Um, I don't really know what chasing meaning means. Um, do I chase money? Um, I would say... Sometimes, yes, and other times I just like to do what I do and have money as a consequence. So I'm not, you know, some of the billionaires say, oh, it's never about the money. Well, you're a billionaire, so it must be, you know, and it's easy for you to say that now. What about when you were starting out? So I would never say it's not not about the money, otherwise I do everything for free. I have a foundation, I have a charity, I do do things for free. I give two or three hours of my day for free. Um, But no, for me, it's partly about the money. And, um, and partly about the good work and giving good value. And sometimes if you want to hit your target for the month, you got, look, I want to make 300 extra grand in the last two weeks. All right, I've got to set a goal for that. I'm going to go chase that. And other times you just do good work. Because you've got a business as well. I mean, the business is, is to a certain extent, must be driving you as well. And you've got overhead, so sometimes you have to go for the money, don't you? I mean, What's wrong with going for the money? Uh, you're, you're running a, a major concern here. Yeah. I mean, I know that you've read a lot of books and you've studied things. You mentioned Think and Grow Rich, which was a great book. Yeah. You've met a lot of millionaires and billionaires. So do you, do you notice any common traits? What, what would be the, the main sort of common traits you would find in you know, the millionaires and the billionaires that you meet? Yeah, so... Business model is not a common trait, and that's important to say. Millionaires and billionaires are in all sorts of industries because a lot of people think, oh, well, my industry you can't and that industry you can. So that's certainly not one of the traits. I would say a desire for scale, that a desire to serve vast amounts of people, that is definitely vital. Um, A desire to serve and give value, that is absolutely vital, whether it's a a PC or an iPhone Mm. or a haircut or, or whatever or a watch um, so desire to give value um, a desire for scale um, f- a fair exchange environment and that is you've got enough fees to make a profit margin but there's enough value in it for the client to feel like it's right. good value to them fair exchange um, if you want to be really really rich then you've got to deal with regulatory and monopolistic challenges you know, yeah. if you want to be a billionaire you are probably going to be in anti-monopoly 
um, issues. You're probably going to have regulations that go against you. You might have, like Uber, have got whole councils and boroughs that fight them vehemently to stop them with having their license. So yeah. you certainly, the bigger you are in terms of wealth, the more challenges that you're going to endure. You've definitely got to embrace hiring um, and building teams. That's common in all um, millionaires. There's no millionaire I've ever met that doesn't have at least, you know, a handful of staff members, maybe three or four. This is the smallest I've seen yeah, for a millionaire. Yeah. Um, so embracing people and teams and hiring and HR, that's all important. Having a grand vision. Yeah. Um, so having something that maybe lasts beyond your life. All of those things are, are commonalities of millionaires and billionaires. And on, on the sort of personal level, are they, do they tend to be driven people? I mean, I've met so many different millionaires. Some are nice people, some are not very nice, some are introverted, some are extroverted. It, it's hard to pin down... The, the, the real, the essence of it. I, I don't think that is common. I think that that's the, one of the biggest misconceptions. Because if I ask everyone, in fact, everyone watching live on Charles's or my life, why don't you just write in a, in a line what you think a, a typical millionaire is? Just think about what you think they might look like or what they might do. Okay. And, and just have a think about that and do that now. Um, because I think we all have our own prejudgments. Now, when I was an artist, it was someone in a sharp suit with a briefcase Maybe what I perceive to be a bit of a shark. Yeah. And some people might think, might picture more people like Richard Branson in the modern times, a, a quintessential entrepreneur. Other people think of a, like a proper hustler, if you like. But we all have a different perception. But like you, I've met many millionaires and many billionaires. And uh, some are very family oriented, some are not. Some are dyslexic, some are not. Um, some are maybe you'd perceive to be a little bit just greedy. Others are the most giving people I know. And I have not been able to define a stereotype of personality traits or types of person. As Sarah here has just said understated and thrifty. Isn't that interesting? Because I think a lot of people yeah. would say flashy. Um, but yeah, you know, there's the, the Warren Buffett type millionaire. Yeah. But then there's the Grant Cardone type millionaire. And they're like almost completely different. You've got Floyd Mayweather who's, he must be worth nearly a billion now, and he's probably the mo one of the most flashy people ever. Yeah. And, and then you've got Bill Gates, who's very understated, and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are giving loads away to philanthropic courses. Neil here has put driven and focused. I would definitely say, common I've seen, is a desire to keep going, and be consistently pushing. Um, so you could call that drive. Yeah. Um, they've really found a way to make uh, business some kind of passion. Now, sometimes that passion is a love, but sometimes it's an obsession. Sometimes it's an addiction. Yeah. And in my business, I've experienced genuine love for it, addiction to it, and obsession to it. You now, seem like quite an obsessive person. You um, go for yeah. something, you're all, you're all in, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a very obsessive person. Yeah. I get addicted to anything I get anywhere near. <laughs> Which um, has worked well for you. And yeah, yeah, it has. you've gone down the right road, not addicted to the wrong things. Yes, true. I'm not perfect. Um, but yeah, I definitely... Um, business is a good addiction to have. Yeah. Um, whereas others are maybe not. Yeah. I think Charlie Munger once said, uh, we, we liked companies and reading reports and we've been successful. It wouldn't have been the same if, if our addiction was chasing after chorus girls, I yeah, think he said. Exactly. An old-fashioned term, chorus yeah. girls. But, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's what they do. Well, yeah, and, and that, I think if you can merge your passion and profession and make your, you know, addiction your vocation, I think that's great. Okay, right, yeah. great. Uh, I don't know if there's any more comments coming through there. There's but um, Yeah. I, just while we're looking at that, um, 
how do you see the podcast? I mean, we're on a podcast, so I'm going to put this on a podcast. How mm-hmm. do you see that market developing? Is there still room for for new people that want to come into it? Because I mean, you see celebrities now getting into it, and the BBC, yeah. and they're all over it. Is there still room for? For new people coming into well, it. people are still setting up email addresses every day. People are still setting up YouTube channels every day. People are still setting up um, Facebook profiles every day. And also, we tend to think in the realms of UK or US, wherever we're based. But what about all the developing countries where there's hardly any that's got the, the biggest growth? I still believe it's under 10% of the population is to a podcast in the UK. It's massive growth area. It could be the biggest and potential growth area in all media and social media that's going on right now. Yeah, so you're, you're running courses on it, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, if you want to do a podcast, you should do it. You should not worry about if the market is saturated or if it's the wrong time. The right time for you is now if you want to do it. Okay. Yeah. And on Bitcoin, um, I mean, you've, you've done some podcasts before on Bitcoin. I just wonder what you thought about Donald Trump's recent uh, you know, tweets that Bitcoin is, is not money. Um, how do you feel? Because uh, you've talked a lot about cryptocurrencies in general. And some people say it's just all you know, money. It's not proper money. Well, it, what is money? It depends on your definition of money. Yeah. Do you mean fiat currency? Because if you mean fiat currency, no, crypto is not fiat currency, which I think is how most people understand money. How I understand money is a universal exchange of value, a store of value and worth, a unit of account and measurement. You know, I understand money in the more classic economics definitions because they transcend the, the actual currency, whether it's fiat or crypto or whatever we use to exchange value. So for sure, crypto isn't money as we understand. It may be the future of money. It may not. Um, something else might disrupt it. It certainly has upsides. It doesn't decay, although I suppose cash doesn't so much anymore now, especially with the polymers. It seems to be more secure. I know there's been some security issues, but it does seem to be more secure. And it'll be easier to tax us if we're all using cryptocurrency because you can't hide cash away. Right. Um, And, you know, you're supposed to have full transparency through the the ledger system. Um, And yet I I don't know. Forgive me for being sceptical of any politics, but Donald Trump is a smart man, smarter than a lot of people give him credit for. He may have had an agenda to make that tweet. Um, But to a certain degree, he's right. It's not money as we understand it. But Donald Trump doesn't, he talks in black and white. You know, he's a politician and he's like, it's like always or never, or this is great and this is bad. Well, well, in reality, um, all forms of money that are are being discussed or currently in, in circulation, whether you use credit or cash, you know, or, or whatever, have upsides and downsides. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. Um, so, yeah. It could be that some of the politicians are worried about these new current Facebook currencies and uh, these things taking the, the emphasis away from their own government-backed currencies. It could yeah, disrupt that. Definitely, uh, or their own hidden agendas. Because uh, politicians have personal agendas. If you think yeah. about being in politics, I don't really do politics normally. Uh, but if you think about being in politics, the problem with politics is um, you, if you want to be in business and have a really good business that leaves a legacy, you need to think 10, 15, 20, 30 years. You can only think two or four years ahead in politics yeah. um, or as, for as long as the term that you get. And then you've got to think about your own salary and your own position, your own voting and your own you know, fundraising. Yeah. So you're mixing selfish ulterior motives in. Now, that is life. We're all yeah. mixing ulterior motives and selfish motives with more um, 
outwardly beneficial motives to others. But I, therefore, in politics, I'm pretty sceptical about what I read, understanding what the motive is behind it. Right. OK. Yeah. Now, you recently merged companies. You, you've merged uh, two companies into one. You had, a, you had a sort of a day last week when mm. you had a special offers. Progressive day, yeah. Do you want to talk about the merger? and, and Yeah. How that, so it's, it's, it was, it was a brand, brand merge more than a corporate merge, right. i.e. we haven't really changed the corporate structure yet. Um, but all we've done really is taken our various brands. So we've got Progressive Property, Unlimited Success, Disruptive Entrepreneur, um, Progressive Let's. We have other um, Progressive Developments, Progressive Publishing, Progressive Media. Uh, and all of those are going to be progressive. So Unlimited Success will become Progressive Success. Progressive will be our main global brand, which is globally, um, that makes global sense and is globally translatable, whereas um Property isn't necessarily globally translatable as, as, as easily. Um, and, and we did that one to, because we have more equity in the brand of Progressive than we do our other brands because it's been going longer. And two, because we're starting to now do courses and um, get a foothold in other countries and co- uh, continents. Um, and yeah, to celebrate that, we did a, a Progressive Day, which I suppose is a bit like Black Friday or Prime Day, where yeah. to celebrate this day, to put this flag in this day, and right. um, we did some, we let people make an offer on our courses and we gave £145,000 worth of discounts or on top of existing discounts. So actually it was probably nearly double that, nearly £300,000 worth of discounts on that day to our loyal, loyal clients. Okay. And which courses are, are sort of taking off at the moment? I, I mean, you, you do lots of things. It's not just property. Uh, you do Amazon courses and podcast yeah. courses. I mean, which, which ones do you, do you think are the most popular? Um, well, for us... Um, our public speaking course, Expert Speaker Revolution, is a very popular course. Right. Um, as of late, our social media influencer and our podcast media masterclass courses have been very popular. They're, um, the last two are, um, are newer. Right. Brand and Marketing Masterclass has become quite popular. Um, what's been popular for years is our Property Investing Masterclass, our uh, No Money Down Property Investing Masterclass, uh, our service accommodation masterclass, those courses have been popular for a long time on the property side of things. But I mean, we probably have another double that again, of course, is okay. um, that's what we are. We're a training business. Yeah. And you obviously have confidence in the, in the property market, despite Brexit and, and this sort of thing that's been holding the market. Back, I have confidence it? in property, Yeah, um, which is different from confidence in the property market. Do I think in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years, property will still be here? Absolutely. Fundamentally, yes. Will the market cycle? Will it go booms and buses? Bus, bust it, buses, yeah, buses. Property is like buses. <laughs> yeah. Booms and busts. Of course it will. Can I predict when they will happen and how they will be? No. Oh. And people try and predict all the time and they try and get me to predict. Um, I've got confidence that property will always have utility. Um, and most investment classes need utility. Not always, but most, if they're backed by utility, uh, especially fundamental needs like housing, shelter, then they're likely to be um, of good value for a, a long time. The great thing about property as well is the um, not only the utility, the, but the life cycle of them. Properties can last hundreds of years. And then add to that the massive demand for extra housing and the massive undersupply of housing and the massive shortage, um, sorry, the influx of increased birth rate and, mm. of course, immigration, etc., so you have a big supply-demand deficit, vital for an investment class to continue to go up, yeah. and utility, which I think is important. That's why you know commodities are tradable because they have utility. Um, so yeah, the fundamentals of property are fully, forever, um, buy into. 
And you but, can use leverage as well. You, exactly. You, can't, things you, you can, can't leverage many other classes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can leverage a property, which means you can get a better return on your investment. And there's lots of yeah. different ways of buying properties other than just a mortgage. I mean, you prove that with your, with yeah, your Yeah, you can partner. do options, installment contracts. Uh, you can do rent-to-rents, assisted sales. There's all sorts of various ways of controlling property rather than owning it or trading it rather than owning it. But I think the assumption for people that, oh, well, the property market's going to crash, the assumption that is that that is bad. It's not bad if you're a property investor because you buy your assets cheaper and your yields are higher and your rents yeah. normally go up when the values go down. So in any market cycle, it's not like it's better or worse. It's a perception if it's better for some and worse for others. It's just a, a, a redistribution of the movement of money. So in a recession, chocolate businesses will thrive. Tattooists will thrive. And there's many other yeah, business are. models, uh, the, the, you know, the, the porn, the gold exchange and buy buying things for cash, you know. Yeah. There was loads of those shops for cash. Exactly. Sort of They'll thrive in the, in the so-called recession. So some business models thrive, some business models die. It's just the way it works. Okay. Can I ask you, if it, just imagine for a moment you were starting out today with, with nothing. What, what would you do if you were starting again? And, you know, not necessarily in debt, but you just said, oh, I'm going to start from scratch. What would you go into these days? Uh, well... I wouldn't do that much different because I've made more than £100 million in sales in that time. So I'm quite happy with that. I'd definitely get into property. If I didn't have any money like I didn't back then, I'd maybe package some deals as long as I could find good deals and I could build some credibility. Uh, and I would certainly start with single let and then get into, get into the more innovative strategies right. such as um, rent to rent or service accommodation. So I would do what we did and I would do what we teach in property. And I definitely want property to always be a mainstay. A lot of people think that my training businesses, business and personal development and and property training is is my main thing. No, property, buying property and owning property and converting property. It's always been our main thing and that always will be. On the business side, again, I would probably run a training business. Now, if I was starting again, I'd have to build up my credibility again. Um, but authoring and podcasting and maybe, you know, using YouTube and, and leveraging social media to reach clients and, and running a training business, an information business, I think is a great business model. I love it. I don't think it'd be long before you'd be back up there anyway. So No, and someone asked me how long do they do I? I've never been asked this before. People always ask me what I do if I started again. But someone said, how long do you think it would get, take to get you back where you are? And I thought, well, maybe about two thirds of the time, because if I can have all the knowledge, I can go a bit faster. I can take some, some more risks, but we've done OK. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe two thirds of the time it might take. OK. Um, and is there any, you know, if people want to get in touch with, I know you're on, li- on live stream for your thing, but for, for my clients, where, where would you want to direct them to if they wanted to go and look at your courses or yeah. look up Rob Moore or? Yeah. So if you search my name, Rob Moore, certainly in the UK, you can find my um, Facebook, Instagram, my website, my books. Um, if you go on Amazon and search my name, Rob Moore, you'll find my book, Money, my book, Start Now, Get Perfect Later, my new book, I'm Worth More. If you search me on podcast, you'll find Disruptive Entrepreneur and Money Podcast. So my name, Rob Moore, and then book, podcast or whatever. On my website, you can obviously see what I do. And Progressive Property is, is my main training company. Here's a good one, Charles. Someone has put, those who teach it can't do it. Is that true? Um, well, look, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no, I think. So when I was at university, I had a couple of lecturers who were lecturing on architecture, but they weren't running a practice. Yeah. So in that regard, they'd made teaching then vocation 
instead of doing. Now, maybe they did and they retired or maybe they did and they failed and they taught. I think it, but also I think it's, it's quite a crap quote because I think it's just generalized. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's vital to be a good teacher to do. And I think if you want to take this further, there are some that do that don't teach. There are some that do that can't teach. There are some that don't do that teach, which isn't really very credible, but there's plenty of those. And there are some that do and teach. Yeah. Uh, and I like to put myself in that final bracket that I do and I teach. And I think that that's what makes you credible. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, successful people don't really know why they're successful, but you've obviously analysed it and you, you can teach it. A, a lot well, of successful people, if you say to them... How a, lot, you... a lot of people who are really successful can't teach because yeah. teaching is hard. A lot of people who are really successful trying like, man, this is draining. I don't want to mentor people. You know, a lot of people don't want, they don't know how to deal with the human side or overcoming their challenges. Mentoring is hard. Mentoring is challenging, it's draining, but it's also bloody rewarding. And it's something that I've done a lot of and I really enjoy. But to be able to credibly answer the questions, you have to walk the walk of doing the thing. So Haroon asked, is it true that, true that those that can do and those that can't teach? No, the reality is there's all types. Um, yeah. Is it true that those who are busy with closing deals have not got time for personal development training? No, I've never heard that. And that's the biggest load of nonsense I've ever heard. And I, I'm, I'm quite happy with these comments and questions. But you should, if you're going to ask, you need to be happy with my answer. I've never met anyone who is doing a lot of property deals or being successful in business. I haven't who isn't keen to develop their mindset, keen to learn about business, about psychology, about dealing with people, about overcoming challenges, about resilience, about grit, about determination, about thinking positively, about solving problems and challenges and creativity. All of that you could call personal development. So no, I don't know many people who are too busy doing deals to do their personal development. I'd say that's quite rare. And and you've obviously, you've got a side of the business that does those deals anyway. You're not out every day looking at, you know, terrace houses, are you? But no. You, you've got that organised. Yeah. I think so. you need skill set and mindset. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, when you grow your business, generally what happens is you attract bigger challenges. So you go and do some deals. You think, great, I've got deals. I'm busy doing deals. And then you get your planning rejected. And then you're, you're over time and over budget. And how do you handle your emotions? And how do you deal with the rejection from people when you just want to get angry with them? That's personal development. And that's vital. Now, you can learn personal development on the job every day in business because it will teach you that um the business running a successful business definitely taught me about managing my emotions and um, because each time i lost my shit it cost me money or cost me staff or just created issues so i learned that on the job but if someone could have taught me that or i could have done a course on that that would have saved me two or three staff leaving or you know refunds or whatever if i'd lost my shit but then you, you did manage to get your business to scale it up from just you and a few people up to what it is now. Yeah, we have 88 staff in the office yeah. and then about another 100 out of the office. And yeah, so Which is you, know, you have, you have to, to let go up. to grow. Yeah, you have to yeah. get out of the way and you have to let go of the perfectionism and you have to let let people lead and let them take the credit and you know, let them go and make mistakes from time to time. All the stuff that every entrepreneur goes through that no entrepreneur wants to go through that's hard for every entrepreneur. Yeah. I, you did a podcast with David Coggins recently, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, very, very interesting. I bought his book immediately. But he, he talked about your mind never wanting to do the things that you should be doing. Yeah. You've got another comment there. I'm just scrolling. You carry on, John. Yeah. That, that your mind is saying, no, don't do that. Be comfortable. 
uh, and and you, you touched on that earlier that you know your your chimp brain will say no don't do that you know yeah. go and play golf go and goof off and that's yeah sort of thing. But, goof off yeah, yeah. and he, he was a very interesting guy yeah the other one I liked of yours was uh, Barry Hearn I thought he was, oh, he was great super guy. he was one of the um, yeah he was one of the favourites out of um, yeah. everyone yeah I thought he was great Haroon here has said again can we get rid of the chimp ch- uh, child mind or can we only do our best to keep it under control. I think the latter, because mm. I think it's necessary. If you didn't have that, what people call the chimp mind, which is essentially your survival faculty. Um, so, you know, your brain wanting to do something easier is just protecting you from difficult situations, which serves you for evolution. Yeah. So, no, you're never going to get rid of fear and you're never going to get rid of the voices um, and the, vo- the, the mind that tries to take the easy route, because that can actually help with your survival but it's just about managing it and contextualizing it for the modern world that we're in and knowing when actually you've got to, your conscious mind's got to override this chimp or child mind because you've just got to man up or woman up and get your shit done hmm. because you're procrastinating or dealing with the situation and making it feel like it's survival hard instead of just modern day hard. But sometimes you've got to listen to yourself and go, Do you know what, I'm knackered, so have a day off. Or actually, this is going to put me in a dangerous situation. I'm going to risking all of my money. This is stupid. Listen to this voice. Right. Yeah. Okay. And where do you get, how much writing do you do now? I mean, you've got this book out now, I'm worth more. But yeah, I, I believe that you're working on several books at once. I'm writing four at the moment. Though they're going a bit slow because I'm writing four. And you um, write them all yourself. I mean, you, yeah. you sit down and do it. Yeah, I write them all myself because I think it's important to have my voice. I'm going to test someone writing a book for me, stroke with me, um, just to see that... Uh, just to try something different. Um, but yeah, I'm usually writing hour, two hours a day, three hours plus if I'm in book writing mode, but I'm usually constantly writing stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Great, great. And your new book, what's different about your new book that you haven't written out of you know, 14 books? You know, yeah. I'm worth more. Is it about mindset? To, it's, you know? The subtitle is Realise Your Value and Unleash Your Potential. So yeah, it's a different book in that it deals more about how you feel about yourself, your inner self-worth, your inner feeling of value, how you take your inner worth and translate into that into outer value, therefore right. increasing your fees or um, putting yourself out there more and winning more business. Or charging um, enough for your art. Yeah, so exactly. Charging before. enough for your work, um, valuing yourself to know what to say yes to and what to say no to, how your self-worth links to your net worth. Um, so it's very different because it's more based on how you feel about yourself. Because I don't think that mindset is just mindset. I think it's mind and body. Because you know, like when you don't feel good about yourself, it's just not in your brain. It's in your whole body. It's in yeah. your stomach. It's in yeah. your, le- you know, when you get nervous or you, you feel vulnerable or exposed or, you know, you, you just feel unworthy. You feel that in your whole body. Yeah. So it, it's not just a mindset book. It's yeah, people talk about your gut feeling. Yeah, your heart, exactly. And, exactly. And, 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 and your head and your heart. And it's self, having low self-worth, feeling empty. And right. empty is here, not here. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think we've, we've covered everything I've got to, to really ask you. I right. mean, uh, it's been really very, very interesting. Thank you, Charles. Any more last-minute comments coming through? Or? Let's have a look. We yeah. might as well um, get everyone involved. Oh, no, just some comments. Right. So we're all good. We've taken them all. Good stuff. Well, once again, thanks for your time, Rob. Thanks, Charles. Uh, it's been really interesting. Thanks, everyone. You. All right. And goodbye, everyone. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 